Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we are continuing our discussion of the ethical principles that really form the very beginning and deepen our continuing path of yoga. The second limb of the eight limb path, which is called niyamas or adherences, these are ethical principles that offer us a practical way to live a life that is worthy of us. Once again, my guest today is David McGrath. David is dedicated to sharing the philosophical and psychological principles and practices of yoga with a focus on promoting the holistic capacity of Kriya Yoga to provide insight into what it means to be human and how we can appreciate and live in tune with the fundamental nature of life. David was ordained by Mr. Roy Eugene Davis, a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, David is a minister within the tradition of Kriya Yoga and has been since 2011. He offers instruction and guidance through one-to-one consultations, organized retreats, online programs, public seminars, workshops, and written publications. David imagines a world awakened in oneness and invites people to follow a path which will allow them to clarify their conscious awareness. David is the author of the book we're discussing today, The Yogi's Way, Living in Accord with the Yamas and Niyamas. So he's a wonderful person to talk in more depth about this topic. You can learn more about David, his book, and his teaching on his website, David McGrath. His last name is M-C-G-R-A-T-H dot I-E, davidmcgrath.ie. That is also where you can find him on Facebook, davidmcgrath.ie. On Instagram and YouTube, he's at David McGrath Therapist. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour, David McGrath. I'm really delighted you could join me again today on the podcast. Laurel, hi. It's a pleasure to be back, back for part two. I have to say I was looking forward to it during the week, um, so I'm glad to have this hour together with you again. Me too. Last week was really fun, and, and I anticipate today will be as well. Before we begin our dialogue about how the principles and practices of the Niyamas guide us to live life in the highest way, let's begin with a moment of contemplation, a yoga moment, a moment to be right here, right now. So let's start right where we are, whatever we're doing, just bringing our attention to our body in space, just feeling our body, whether we're sitting or standing, walking or driving, just feeling our body in space and feeling the surfaces that support our weight. What part of our body is supported by the chair if we're sitting? Let's bring our attention to our feet on the ground, just noticing, and then turning our attention to the breath, 
And noticing as we take a fully conscious breath, the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling how that air is now warmed. Just staying with the breath, using it as our point of focus. Here's something to contemplate from Yogacharya O'Brien's book, Living the Eternal Way. We can see where we are headed if we observe where we are right now. What is experienced now is due to past causes. Like a well-tended field, a life of happiness grows from the careful work of cultivating contentment. Kind thoughts and compassionate actions bring peace to us in the moment and plant seeds of future happiness. Once again, David McGrath, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm really delighted to have you back on as we continue our discussion of the ethical principles of yoga that make up the first two limbs. As we mentioned last week, many people may be even surprised that ethics uh, that ethics are part of yoga, that um, yoga is actually more than just physical exercise, and that it contains these beautiful ethical principles that can really guide us to live a spiritually conscious life. And your book is such a great introduction. Our conversation last week focused on the first limb of yoga, which was called the yamas or restraints. Those are ethical principles about how we should behave in the world. And then today I wanted to focus on the companion principles, the niyamas or adherences, which are internal practices. As I shared last week, It's delightful to have you on as a guest because of our common heritage in this in this uh, lineage of of, uh, Kriya Yoga. Your teacher was Roy Eugene Davis, who was the teacher of my teacher, Ellen Grace O'Brien. And Roy Eugene Davis was a direct disciple, as I mentioned in my introduction, a direct disciple of Yogananda. I think we were all really blessed to have him with us uh, for for so long. And um, it's lovely that that's our common uh, background. It makes us feel like part of the same family. So uh, Roy Eugene Davis, as I mentioned, a wonderful Western yogi, uh, in his book, The Science of Self-Realization, wrote, these attitudes and behaviors are normal for a person who is healthy-minded and spiritually conscious. If they are not yet actualized by a truth seeker, they should definitely be attentively cultivated. He's talking about the yamas and niyamas. So why do you think that the yoga path, the eight-limbed path, actually starts with with these um, yamas and niyamas, these ethical principles? Why are they so important? Well, Laura, um, I always remember Roy talking in regards to um, our spiritual advancement as being in tune spiritual maturity could be compared to emotional maturity um and when we look at the yamas and niyamas it kind of provides us with a a framework the term i often use the framework to just measure um 
our level of maturity in terms of how we experience life. Um, we know from growing up when we see um, when we had experiences in childhood that we weren't necessarily able to navigate because they were just overwhelming that we ne we didn't necessarily have the words to communicate those issues or we um, would throw tantrums of kinds or, you know, just lash out in different ways or try to communicate um, our grievance in some way or another. Um, and as we grew up, we kind of learned different mechanisms, different tools and um, different ways to neutralize the, what was going on, the excitation in the body and the, the overwhelm. Um, and sometimes for some of us, this can, we may have advanced further with this than others. Um, but the path of yoga, the, this path of purification, just allows us to continue that process of getting really good at being able to respond to life in a mature way, in a way which is more, uh, greater insight. And so uh, being the first two principles, the yamas and niyamas, I think they just straight away off the bat, get us to just acknowledge, well, where are we at right now? Mm. Um, and then from there, we can go into the other limbs um, and they involve formal practice uh, of meditation um, and contemplation. But when we get to that, when we get more involved with the practices of meditation and contemplation, we still are given, uh, it's almost like it's a loop. It loops back onto the first one and this, uh, the first limb and the second limb again, so that we can measure, well, now that I've been involved with the meditation and the contemplation, now how am I in terms of my emotional and spiritual maturity? And it just keeps on going in this progressive cycle. So mm -hmm. I think we can look at them as the first two limbs, but they're, it, at some point, they're, they're no longer the first two limbs. They're just part of the cycle of what is the limbs of yoga. Yeah. Yes, no, indeed, I totally agree. And as I have worked with the yamas and niyamas, which we, we sort of mentioned a little bit last week, my understanding of them has become more subtle. And I, I, one of the things I really appreciate about your book is that you try and create that experience for people in that you cycle through them multiple times. Yeah. Um, so has that been your experience that as you've worked with these over a period of time that they look different to you now than they did when you first started absolutely um is it's almost like you're standing in a different posi position um and you're seeing it from a different angle and the lighting in that position just allows you to see more detail uh, more nuance um and so through the years of practice i you know it it does become a progressively deeper uh, understanding into each one of the yamas and niyamas. I think I might have expressed, though, in the last podcast last week that um, uh, I, in my own practice, became a little bit stagnant in, in how I was reflecting on the yamas and niyamas. And I think this is something which is potential, potentially... Uh, possible for many practitioners is that we kind of see them as um, qualities, uh, ethical principles, and they're kind of just there hanging around in this structure that we call the system of yoga. And uh, it gets, kind of can get to a point where we just um, become a little bit blasé about actually taking them as seriously as they 
are intended to be taken. And I think for me in my own practice, I got to a point where I was reflecting on them, but it kind of became automated in some ways, you know, it kind of became like I all, like I had already figured out what they were about and they didn't really have much else to offer me. Right. Um, right. And I think when, when that occurred, then, um, you know, life kind of, you're still on the path of yoga. You're still there. You're still um, a practitioner. And so, life it seems um can kind of shake things around a little bit so that you are forced to look back at these principles maybe you're not looking back at them as the 10 principles the five yamas and niyamas but you're looking at who you are in relation to life and why things are going the way they are and why you're responding the way you are and so you're really having this kind of personal um reflection on who you are in relation to everything that's going on um and so it forces you to kind of look at the system of yoga and say, okay, well, we're given everything within yoga and people are promoting yoga as being the system of pure purification and I'm doing everything I can. So what's going on? Why am I still having all these, these uh, um, experiences or why is life just not going the way I want it to go? And so there's kind of a, um, a crisis, I suppose, of some kind. Um, and then it, it, with that, then we're kind of um, being pushed to look at, well, what is it that I'm ignoring? What is it that, why is yoga failing me? Is how the question arrived to me is kind of, why isn't this working for me? I thought I put all my eggs in this basket. Why, why is it not working out? And, and I had to just accept that, well, it's because I haven't really been applying myself to all the limbs of yoga um and when you when that question comes up uh, as to how can yoga really help us in terms of how we engage in life our formal practice that's quite easy for us to um take on board and apply ourselves with to within um within moderation for everybody within uh, depending on everybody where they're coming from in their life but it's relatively easy for us to uh, go about that but it's harder for us to look at who we are in relation to the yamas and niyamas because it's very much about us having to do the work. Nobody else can really do it for us. Um, there's, in the same way as it takes work and it takes discipline to sit down and meditate, but we can kind of see it as a, a process where we're given these techniques and we can work through these techniques and and it's kind of um, systematic. But when somebody says truthfulness or you know, um, non-attachment, and then you they they tell you what it's about, and you have it in your head. But what does that actually re really mean for you? And how is that going to alter or shift how you experience your day-to-day -day living? Um, I I feel that there comes a point in the practice of uh, everyone who applies themselves to yoga that the that when they go on the quest of trying to find out the truth of who they are, they'll be met with having to really take seriously how they are in the world mm -hmm. as a, as an expression, um, which is, as we talked about last week, a kind of feedback loop on who they are internally. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the other difficulty for me is um, sometimes it's kind of painful you know, to dive into, you know, for example, one of the ones we were talking about last week, um, harmlessness. And as you get into it in more subtle levels, you see even more ways that you're falling short 
Um, And initially that can be really painful. You know, you, you, it's easier to kind of gloss over it. Um, And when you really start to take it seriously and really look more deeply at how you're living um, because it extends of course, to not just our, our actions, but also our words and our thoughts. And that is a very subtle level, you know, to engage these things on. And all I would say is that I would encourage people to keep going because um, once you begin to work with it and initially that increased awareness can be painful, but in the long run, it's so helpful because you can see more and therefore you are more motivated to do to do more and if you can't see it you can't do anything about it so um that's my little bit of encouragement and and on that bit of encouragement i would say because there's another side to it if you have kind of exposed yourself to these teachings and had the good fortune to know something of them then you you've awakened um a possibility to go about answering uh, the questions that you've got going on within you um and so if you side away from it or try to evade it in some way or another um the questions come back bigger and louder but and you know that there's an answer there uh, as in you know that there's a, a means for you to go about answering those questions um so the demand on yourself becomes quite strong and you know, it, it's best if you can just to stick with it um, um, rather than um, running. <laughs> Although running can seem very appealing sometimes. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So as we mentioned in the last podcast, we discussed the yamas or restraints, and there are five of them. They are uh, non-harming or ahimsa, truthfulness or satya, non-stealing or asteya, walking with absolute reality, In your description, I've also heard it described as the right use of vital force, that's brahmacharya, and then non-attachment or aparigraha. So our conversation mostly focused on two of those, which were harmlessness and truthfulness, ahimsa and satya. And this week we're turning to the niyamas. So when you reflect on the yamas and niyamas, how do you look at that interplay? The yamas are external, they're ethical principles, kind of how we treat others. And the niyamas are practices that we do for ourselves. Would you say more about that? Yeah, I like that. They're practices we do for ourselves. It just, um, there's something very attractive in that, isn't there? There's kind of this, uh, this, possibility for us because you know we talk about the yamas and niyamas as being um, a framework to reflect and measure on our own engaging in life and now we have the niyamas as being this opportunity for us to just take time out and look after ourselves Um, but it's the ourselves part or the me part that's the interesting side of this it's um it's it's in itself the me the i is got layers and layers and layers that we could you know as uh, we could talk on for hours um and probably did not get very far either um so in trying to sum up the niyamas in terms of us giving us a space to look after ourselves they form um uh, extremely important part of the whole practice because in being adherences uh, the one of the niyamas tapas and discipline um it it in itself kind of talks about how if we're going to look after ourselves we have to take responsibility to actually 
applying ourselves to specific practices, specific ways of being, specific behaviors. And so we can talk about the niyamas as being the five principles which are going to help us to look after ourselves, after me. But actually, that takes a bit of effort. Um, and it doesn't actually come that easy, even though as attractive as it might sound, that's me time. But even still, we don't, we're not necessarily um, going to be as successful as we'd like to be straight off the bat. Um, so we've got tapas, self-discipline uh, is extremely important in doing that. Um, but all of them collectively, the niyamas, just provide us with a means to disconnect to the external world, connect with ourselves physically, maybe emotionally, mentally, and just um, in that allow ourselves the opportunity to develop our how we relate, uh, develop an understanding of how we relate to each of these aspects of our being. Um, all the while developing our capacity to uh, discern and distinguish and to know what is accurate and what's not accurate about everything that we're uh, reflecting on. And in this way, we we become more, I suppose, attuned to how we express through the physical, emotional and mental. Um, but we also become better at just observing that relationship as being a relationship as opposed to um, being what defines us. And so there's layers to to the niyamas, um, which I'm sure we'll discuss in this episode. But it's um, it's an ongoing practice, which then, um, by adhere by adhering to these principles, has a knock on effect on how we're able to engage in life, and so how we're going to be able to adhere to the yamas, which we talked about in the last episode. Okay. So the two are kind of um, mutually supportive. Um, uh, one working with our internal experience, our perspective engaging, our perspective of engaging with manifested creation from the inside towards our uh, mind-body system, and then the yamas in terms of how that mind-body system engages with life and the external expressions that the mind-body system is part of. Mm -hmm. Yes, you mentioned that um, the eight limbs although the yamas and niyamas are the first one, that there's a cyclical, you know, quality to going through them. And I also see that same cyclical quality going back and forth between the yamas and, and the niyamas. Um, as you mentioned, they really are, you know, supportive of each other. So just for listeners that may not be familiar, the five niyamas are contentment, or the Sanskrit word is santosha, cleanliness, sauka, self-discipline, tapas, self-study, svadhyaya, and self-surrender, ishvara pranidhan. Um, although we could, again, spend the entire time on just an overview of these, would you just give a little brief few sentences on each? So give listeners a little bit more of a sense of what these five niyamas really are about. Okay, so the first one we've got saucha, or saucha. You said sauka, is that, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's referring to purity. Um, and in terms of the body, we can think of it as just keeping the body clean, looking after the the organism, you know, so that it's being maintained as it needs to be maintained in order for it to be able to express as it's able to express. Um, but that's on a physical level. Then we also have to take into consideration that the physical is related to the emotional, it's related to the mental. So when we're talking about purity, we can talk about how 
we're how we're allowing or yeah giving space for the mind body system to be exposed to different um stimuli which are going to affect um how it's been impressed upon um so you know if we're in an environment where there's a lot of pollution then the physical body has experiences stress but the mind if it's in, if we're in an environment where there's a lot of stimuli which could um be challenging or i'm not sure how to quantify it but it's a stimuli which maybe leaves an impression upon our minds such that it's it's challenging for us to just dismiss it and it, and it kind of works into the grooves of the our thinking processes then it can kind of contaminate um the workings of the mind uh, and start taking dominance so purity kind of works on our uh, being able to just facilitate um maintaining a mind body system which isn't being unduly stressed and having to work through those stresses mm-hmm. um and, then and i next... should say i i'm actually not sure how you pronounce it so i i okay i, I may have gotten it wrong so you say saucha yeah but i could have gotten it wrong too i, I know <laughs> that in sometimes the h after a consonant in, in sanskrit can be like an explosive so it could be south yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure okay. yeah um the second one then um santosha um is contentment and uh that is just basically being able to accept that life is one unified expression and although we look in the mirror and we see ourselves as being this individual that in fact we are a part of that expression and so life knows us life really is very good at looking after itself um and achieving balance and just keeping things um working although we may not agree sometimes um <laughs> the overview the overall picture is that it is extremely skilled at doing this um and so with that in mind contentment would be really just comes down to trusting um trusting that life is knows what it's what it's doing but content contentment also implies our being able to accept um what is going on too um so right now you're listening to these words and you might have things in your mind that are going on which are drawing you to go to do something else or um, attend to some other activity or whatever it might be and maybe you're also being uh, drawn back to some memories of the past as a listener you might be being pushed back into some past experience but the truth is that the words that you're listening to right now is the reality of what's going on um and although there may be an inspiration to move forward in a certain way it's only by being fully present in the moment and being very um connected to it that we can be in the best position to be able to move forward mm-hmm. um so contentment is just accepting the minute the moment whatever is occurring in that space and then tapas uh relating to self-discipline and um, the word discipline can be a, a little bit chunky in people's ears um <laughs> But it, it, as we talked about just uh, at the beginning, you know, discipline is fundamental to our being able to look after ourselves um, and really give ourselves the best that we can. Um, I like to think of it in terms of seasons and just the ebb and flow of things. The discipline, we have some, uh, I suppose, um, inherited uh procedures that we go through every day and 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 we're pretty happy to go through them and maybe we're happy to go through them because what's familiar to us 
Um, but there's a lot of things that we can learn as we go through life. And um, there may not, the learning in itself, because it's a learning, it, things are not always as familiar to us. But when we um, give ourselves to them and apply the learning, then it can be of extreme benefit. Um, so, But discipline is that, I suppose, challenge in actually applying yourself, applying the learning or applying yourself to whatever it is that you know to uh, work. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the discipline, um, you know, it, it, it creates this, I suppose, conflict within us sometimes, you know, whether we should we sit down and watch the movie for another hour or should we do the other thing that we had in our mind to do? Um, we kind of put our, we find ourselves in these um, situations where we have uh, what it see, seems like a dilemma. Um, um, and sometimes that can actually just be um, overcome just by simply having a kind of a, a, a routine to your day and a routine to your week and a routine to your month and a routine to your year, but not so that you're owned by them or that you're dominated but by them, but that they serve as a means to an end. So the, the routine serves as a means to the end and the end being that you're able to just live with less stress, with more clarity and with the greater capacity to just tend to things. Um, and uh, I know that Paramahansa Yogananda in his youth was quite uh, spontaneous in the way he went about things and Sri Yukteswar, his teacher, his guru, um, uh, went out of his way and did all he could to um, discipline him (laughs) or facilitate his becoming disciplined um, because it wasn't his nature. But as a consequence, it's it's not saying that spontaneity isn't um, isn't something that can be nurtured and cultivated and allowed. It's just that spontaneity actually works best when it's part of um, a disciplined way of living. Um, it just because clarity is there and there's less uh, confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, quickly, uh, no, that's great. But I just want to make sure that we get a chance, oh, yeah. to, uh, you know, to dive, you know, some further into which we're going to do for a couple of these um, Svadhyaya, which we're yeah. going to talk about, you know, the self-study piece and then maybe just self-surrender. Can you give us a little couple sentences on self-surrender? Mm-hmm. Well, as we're going to talk on self-study, I'll maybe I'll just, well, I'll just say that as being the study of the self, the self being that which is um, underlying every aspect of manifested creation, that part of us, which is our essential nature, which is able to just observe everything that's going on. Um, and then moving on to uh, Ishvara Pranidhamma. Um I find this one interesting because in, in the Yamas, you've got uh, Brahmacharya and then now you've got Ish, Ishvara Pranidhana. And it's, um, you know, it's referencing um, supreme reality, um, but it's talking about surrender to the supreme reality. Whereas in the Yamas, it was talking about walking with that supreme reality or absolute reality. Mm. Um, and so you're walking, but you're also surrendering yourself. And the image that's just, just, just coming to my mind right now as I'm talking is this idea of when you were a child and you were holding your parents' hand, you're walking with them, but you 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 totally surrendered and trusted that they were going to guide you in in the direction that you're going. So it's this this capacity to trust, I think, to trust and surrender oneself to the expression as it unfolds, and really just to be able to live uh, in total faith of that. Mm. Mm. That's a nice way of saying it. Um, I think about it as 
surrendering of the small self, the ego self, mm. to the inner self, to the to the true self. But yeah. here we are halfway. So as a reminder to our listeners today on the Yoga Hour, my guest is David McGrath, who is an educator and coach. His website is David McGrath, M-C-G-R-A-T-H dot I-E, davidmcgrath.ie. He is the author of the book we're discussing today, which is The Yogi's Way, Living in Accord with the Yamas and Niyamas. You, these links will be on our webpage, theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. So let's dive a little bit more deeply into, um, into contentment. Um, one of the things that you write in the book, on uh, the first, as we've mentioned, the book is a is a an iterative look at these ten principles that now we've gone through, um, where you spend time with each of those, and then you start over again and spend time with each of them again and again and again. So the first sequence on Santosha, you write, contentment means abiding in peace. It is a position of robust power. That I thought was a very interesting statement. Abiding in peace is a position of robust power. So would you say more about that? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, I think I remember writing about that in relation to the oak tree. Mm -hmm. um, uh, when you walk through a park or through a field and you see an oak tree, it's and it's majestic but it's very grounded in its own nature um, and it's very at peace. Um, and the only thing moving it is swaying maybe a little bit in the wind, but it's very grounded and it has this presence, um, which is powerful. Um, and the qualities of the oak tree then are just that it's, it's accepting whatever weather has brought its way. It's whatever storm hits it, it's accepting and it stands there um, unmoving. And it reacts and responds as well because if if um, given that there's other trees going around the area or growing in the same space um, and light doesn't hit it, it'll bend and it'll curve in order to catch that light. So it's not that it is inactive or non-responsive. It's just that it is appropriate. Um, and it, I just find that image very um, guiding in terms of this practice, the practice of contentment. Um, we, we find ourselves in situations in life where uh, we're quite the opposite. We're, we're discontent. <laughs> we're not happy with what's going on. And, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not immune to that, even though I'm talking about this. I'm not immune to that. There's occasions when I just want out. <laughs> um, and it is just to be able to acknowledge that there's always a polarity. There's always the duality. There's always the two sides. And things may not be there, be in their extremity. It might be not all totally awful. It might be not fantastic. It might be somewhere in between on the spectrum. And we might find ourselves on somewhere in between in the spectrum where we're kind of, we don't define it as being terrible or we don't find it as being amazing, but we find ourselves trying to navigate how we do find it. Uh, it you know, it's kind of a disgruntlement or uh, an annoyance, but... We're not always very able to perceive this in ourselves. It can be very uh, elusive sometimes. And sometimes we don't actually know that we're annoyed until we say something to the person next to us, which they say, are you annoyed? And then you kind of go, oh, actually, I'm annoyed. Um, so the practice of contentment is, I suppose, 
a practice which, again, getting back to the idea of developing our relationship to our physical body, our emotional body, and our mental body. When I say developing the relationship, I'm not talking about um, glorifying it. I'm talking more about just understanding that we express through each of these aspects of our being within this manifested reality. And so our mind is always up to stuff and our emotions are always being triggered. Uh, there's always an emotional, hormonal response within the body. And then our physical body is inclined to be um, influenced by all of that. And so when we talk about contentment, it's, 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 not going to be as simple as saying just be like an oak tree because you know that's uh, very black and white and it's it's going to be something we're going to have to navigate for ourselves and so in different circumstances with family members we might be sitting around at a holiday time and we find ourselves um getting agitated but do we have to be able to notice that we find ourselves getting agitated? We have to be able to notice the physical body maybe becoming a little sweaty in the palms or becoming a bit agitated and restless. We have to be able to notice that there's um, we don't we're not always so quick to be able to notice emotions, but we can get good at noticing that there's a, a, a an overactivity in the mind or maybe a, a, an over focusing on a negative thought pattern or. You know, there's there's workings in the mind which are unsettling the whole, our whole being able to be at peace with ourselves. Um, and so it's not a case of having to say, get rid of all that, get rid of all that. But it is a case of us being able to observe it and to be able to take note of it. Because contentment means that we're not denying reality. We're not refusing the expression of reality. And if, as expressions of reality, we are restless and our emotions are maybe annoyance or boredom or whatever it might be. These are all very real things and that's okay. And the mind might say stuff in response to that, which in its own right is okay because that's what the mind does. But us as the witnessing presence behind that, we're able to neutralize it or at least regulate it in the way which is more favorable. But that's a practice. Um, and so contentment means our being able to um, develop our relationship with each of the aspects of our being as it expresses within manifested reality so that we can, um, I suppose, gain mastery over it um, so that we then are in a position to not be um, dictated to by it and in and and not and not then as a consequence um, be I, pushed this way and that way by our own likes and preferences um, we're more inclined to be able to just accept the nature of the situation as it's going on yes indeed and um, for myself one of the things that's most helpful to me in terms of this practice of contentment is my ongoing meditation practice yeah. the more that i have an experience of that oneness consciousness in meditation what's wonderful about that is it is content it needs yeah. nothing it lacks nothing and so the more that i can have that experience regularly hopefully on a daily basis it makes it easier to stay in that witness consciousness and yeah. then uh, be able to more carefully choose the way I want to respond instead of just being triggered, you know, into some automatic reaction, which often might be getting angry or, you know, getting upset. 
Um, yeah. And it's it's just so much nicer if I have a little bit more choice <laughs> in that yeah. moment. Um, in the in the book, you um, one of the things that I talked about with you last time. I'm going to bring it up again. In the um, the first time you go through these, you list. A bunch of different words relating to each of these yamas and niyamas and you encourage us to think about how each word helps describe the practice of contentment and then to rank each word from one to ten where one is not an effective description and ten is extremely effective and i just love some of the words that you chose some of them were would would be expected and then some of them are really unexpected and thought-provoking so ones uh, that you list for contentment you list happy so that's kind of you know a, a given balanced peace non-longing i like that one appreciative still that was a really good one for me and then curious was a, a really good one you know for me so again happy balanced peace non-longing appreciative still and curious so why do you feel this exercise sets the stage for first contemplating contentment well, just what strikes me there is that when you, the word happy, because we do associate contentment with happiness, but contentment, you know, through this practice of realizing, maybe it doesn't mean happiness. Yeah, you that's know? a good point. Yeah. yeah. So not, you know, it's just a perspective. And I think that's the thing with all of these words. It's just, it's just my own perspective and, you know, discussing it with you or anybody else, they'll have a different perspective on it. And I think that is really what the essence of this exercise is. It's not that there's one final answer. And even that idea of the spectrum between one and 10, effective or least effective. Um, it's just to allow the person to kind of, the reader, your listeners, whoever's using the book to just kind of reflect on the word itself and to explore what is it that they think makes that connotation work or not work. So when we talk about happiness in relation to contentment, why would happiness work? And we might list off different things. And, you know, at one time, a bit like when you were talking about bravery in the last episode, at one time I might have said contentment. Oh yeah, that's happiness. You know, if I'm content, I'm happy. Yeah. But now with the reflections on it, there's moments when I'm, when I'm content, but the situation isn't necessarily making me happy. It's just more, I'm not opposing it and i'm not finding it um you know it might not even be a case that it's something that i'd like to spend very much time in but it's just that it's just knowing like traffic you know <laughs> traffic it's stuck in traffic it's not a case and i'm not talking about getting a distraction like the radio or listening to a podcast or anything like that but just you're stuck in traffic and that's all that's going on is traffic and you might say well i'm content i'm not necessarily happy because mm -hmm. you know you don't yeah. but i'm content because this is what's happening and there's absolutely nothing I can do to change the reality. In fact, I'm the one creating this reality because I'm part of the traffic. <laughs> so, so there's kind of, you know, it just shifts. So I think the, the this exercise really just um, allows for that kind of exploration of your own um, perspective to be explored. Um, and in that way, then to develop that relationship that you have to your own thought processes and your own perspectives and it, i think the whole thing then as a consequence as you work through the book gradually starts to shake up how much um i suppose value or how much uh 
priority we give to our thinking and to our the way we word things and the way we feel about things and our perspectives all of that starts to get shaken up a little bit um and you know there's there's no as we talked last week within discussing it there's not going to be a black and white answer but behind it all there is that part of you which has been observing you taking part in the process um and that that becomes a little bit more I suppose it gains a greater prominence um, because you start to realize the fickleness of the words and the concepts and, you know, even the idea of who you are and how you might stand for them and how you might defend them if you were to get into a discussion about it. Actually, it's very shaky. It's very volatile. And it's very transient. Um, but there is that part of you which has been observing your own I just I got I just what came into my mind there is you know those times sometimes you're in a thought process and you're trying to figure something out and then your mind goes blank and everything goes still and you're just still and then you just find yourself just doing what you need to do and it's almost like you've been disconnected from all the apparatus that we use and just being able to observe it yourself being taken over by the flow of life itself um, and I think with this, you know, you, people might find that they're on a word and they're reflecting on a word and they're thinking it out and they're trying to reflect on why it should be a one or a 10. And then they might just get lost in that space where words start to fade. And yeah. then all of a sudden they're just there and they're connecting to a concept that doesn't it's beyond words now. And in that space, there's a kind of, um, I suppose, a type of absorption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I really like the exercise and that's why I wanted to, you know, bring attention back to it because I, I think it's actually a lovely way to interact with each of the yamas and niyamas in a in a way that's a little bit, it is very thought provoking. And as we've just yeah. talked about, you know, just, a, you know, one word, uh, happy, you know, happy and what is the relationship between happiness and contentment? I, I think it's, it, you did a really nice job there in the book. So I don't want to spend all of our time. I do want to at least turn a little bit to uh, to Svadhyaya, to self-study, because um, I think this, to me, is such a key practice of yoga and adds depth to pretty much everything that we've been talking about, all yeah. of the yamas, um, because we can use it to look at our... Um, at, at the way we're responding to whatever's happening. And that can teach us so much about how we are in the world, how, you know, how we are with all of the things that we've talked about so far with, uh, you know, with the, with all of the uh, yamas, with, you know, truthfulness, with um, harmlessness, with any of them that we've talked about so far. So I did want to um, read another quote from uh, Ray Eugene Davis in his book, Seven Lessons in Conscious Living. He writes, to know God, first know yourself. Self with a capital S. To know God, first know yourself. Acquire accurate information about God from reliable sources. Adopt wholesome living regimens. Meditate to clarify your awareness and engage in self-analysis. Ask, what am I? Yeah. So self-study or svadhyaya is a process of moving consciousness, first from identifying the small self or the ego-driven self to knowing oneself, the big self, as oneness. Um, as you write in your book, an innate desire resides in each of us to know who we are and what the purpose and meaning of life is. So how would you describe the difference between the small self and the capital S self? How do you describe that for your students? 
Well, in a nutshell, I think the small self is the egoic personality. It's the it's the illusory coming together of the memories, the experiences, the notions, the ideas, which cumulatively form our sense of I. So it's kind of like everything that we just push together and we say I, um, but it's all based on identifications with different things, the different things that we're relating to in our life, none of which can be said if we talk about it in isolation, it doesn't represent who I am. If we talk about two or three of them together, it doesn't represent who I am. All of them together represent who I am. But some of them are coming and some of them are going and it's all transient, it's all moving. So together it doesn't function. And that So I think the small self that with the small s, the self with the small l's or the small self is the that part of us which is the perception of individuality which is being kind of um, uh, construed. Whereas the S, self with the capital S is that aspect of us which doesn't change and which is not reliant on a relationship to get its um, sense of identification, to get its sense of meaning or existence even. It just exists. It is existing. It's the, our beingness. Um, and so... You know, it might be referred to as the the soul or the spirit. Um, I know it's referred to in yoga philosophy as the purusha, the seer. So it's that aspect of us which is just seeing, observing, witnessing, unchanging. Um, and I think the key aspect of this is just that you know I use the term a lot: manifested creation, manifested reality. But basically, everything that's part of the world, you know, including my finger here in front of me, including the thoughts in my mind. All of that is part of something which is manifested, coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. And the I, uh, the I that we talk about from the small self and the small S point of view is trying to piece all of those relationships to all those different moving parts together in some way to construe this self or this notion of I as an individual. Whereas the self with the capital S is the opposite it's um it's it notices or it knows that all of it is just moving and transient but that it can be observed um so essentially that the self with the capital s is the seer the observer um that's what i would say that's great for me once again i think my meditation practice is so key to this process of self-study because it allows me to um, identify with that witness consciousness. And the more you identify with the witness consciousness, then you can be in that position of self-study. Now, it also includes um, reading and reflecting on texts and scriptures. Did you want to briefly comment about that? We are almost out of time, but um, I yeah. do make people aware that it's not just our internal reflection, but it's also the study of uh, uh, Svadhyaya self-study ref also refers to reading and reflecting on texts and scriptures. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you talked about meditation, as you know, meditation is a key part of this whole process. Um, just developing the ability to disconnect, 
what I say, disentangle, disentangle ourselves from um, all the physical goings on and all the subtle emotional things that are going on and all the thinking processes that are going on, just to give ourselves a chance to disentangle from all of that. So disidentifying with those processes. So just to experience what's there, what's left uh, when we are disengaged in that way. Um, and meditation really provides a means for us to do that. Um, and then as a consequence, when we do step up from our meditation and off the cushion and engage in life, we have this, we've, we've uh, practiced what it means to take a step back uh, and distance ourselves from the goings on and to stay attuned to that part of which part of us, which can see. Um, so yeah, meditation is key. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did you want to comment about just reading uh, as oh, well? Oh, excuse me. Yeah. And then reading texts, I think um, the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali um, forms a key part of our being able to know this process. Um, we talked about the eight limbs and it explains within the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali, the Yamas and Niyamas, but there's an extensive um, explanation and, and depending on who you're reading, different commentaries on how to go about the systematic approach of disengaging disentangling yourself to be able to move into that space where you're then witnessing as you said um and in that and in the in that space of silence to contemplate well what does that what what is that witnessing what is it that is going on there or who are you what are you when when you're in that quiet space mm-hmm. indeed i could talk to you again for you know, double this amount of time, but we have almost come to the end of the time together. And I did want to give you a chance to leave a few words of encouragement or inspiration with our listeners. What would you like to share? Well, I'm just very uh, impressed by how quickly the time has gone. <laughs> well, it's a, um, what I'd like to share, I, I would say that regardless of where you are on in relation to yoga practice, I think that it's um, extremely useful just to practice to some degree disconnecting, um, disengaging, disentangling yourself um, so that you can experience more silence, more um, stillness, the silence and the stillness, so that you can get closer to knowing yourself without identifications, um, but knowing yourself just as being the one that's observing. I guess lovely advice. Um, listeners might think about if there's a time of your day, a part of your day that you can actually disconnect from devices and have that silence, not just, you know, silence of not speaking, but actually the silence of not, you know, the first thing we wake up in the morning, often that's the first thing in our hand. So um, really looking at that and seeing if there's a time of silence, electronic silence that you can create for yourself in your day. Yeah. So for listeners, you've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. My guest today has been author uh, David McGrath, author of the book we've been talking about today, The Yogi's Way, Living in Accord with the Yamas and Niyamas. Again, highly recommended. It's a way that you can dive much more deeply than we've been able to do on the show into these wonderful ethical principles of the Yamas and Niyamas. David's website is davidmcgrath.ie. David McGrath, M-C-G-R-A-T-H dot I-E. That's also uh, how you can find him on Facebook. He's also on um, YouTube. 
and Instagram at David McGrath Therapist. Those links will be on our webpage, theyogahour.com. Thank you again, David, so much for joining me today on the show. Thank you, Laurel. For listeners, we hope you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, which is the sponsor of this program. There's meditation, lovely supports for your individual practice. You can practice as a group, daily online meditation in the morning at 6.30 a.m. Pacific, in the afternoon at 4, and the Monday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Again, all those times are Pacific. You can also join us for Sunday satsang. Satsang is a Sanskrit word meaning a gathering of truth seekers that happens at 10 a.m. Pacific each week. For listeners, you may want to check out the um, Kriya Yoga Today podcast, which is another podcast with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. She also has a YouTube channel, Ellen Grace O'Brien, and her website, ellengraceobrien.com. Yogacharya O'Brien will be leading the upcoming Kriya Yoga Meditation Retreat, June 22nd to 25th, 2023. This is an in-person retreat at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. And you can find out more about it and many events at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment at their website, csecenter.org. Join us next time on The Yoga Hour when I will be joined by Kate Johnson, author of the book Radical Friendship. We will be discussing friendship as a radical practice for social change. The Yoga Hour is a service project for the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Remember, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're liking it, if you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend. Thanks to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, and Christine Sote. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Mm-hmm.